I'm going to continue my sermon uh, on uh, prayer today, and um, we're going to ask God to help us to to communicate the thing that God is laying on our hearts. Just, just pray with me now. Lord, we come to you right now in Jesus' mighty name. Lord, we recognize our complete poverty without you. Lord, without you we can do nothing. Lord, and I ask, oh God, that by your Holy Spirit today, you would help us to communicate the issues that are core for this day's lesson, Father. Lord, that those things would be engrafted into our hearts, Lord, that we would receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save us and that we will be transformed, Lord Jesus, today by the renewal of our mind. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. So for those who are new, um, we're just doing a... It's become quite a long series through uh, Ephesians 6 6 on the um, armor of God and on prayer. Essentially, the whole um, idea that we want to deal with today is changing your mind or change your mind. And uh, so we're reading from this passage of Scripture... And uh, so we'll read it again and we'll just talk again about this passage of Scripture. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the tricky, tricky things of the devil. We do not uh, wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in that evil day. And having done everything to stand, stand therefore, having gird your waist with the truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking... The shield, uh, taking the shield of faith. Now, we looked at that last week, taking. That word uh, taking there is, is anathlambano in the Greek, and it actually means it's a self-promoted taking up. So when Liz was actually talking about taking up that shield, putting that shield, that really is your responsibility to put that shield in place. Remember, that shield is a very big shield. It was like a door. That's what they call it. It was a door. And that's something that you uh, do. You have to take up that shield of faith. It's something that you have to exercise. And that shield of faith is God. God is the one who is there for you. You have to find yourself and hide yourself behind God when, when situations are, are, are getting rough. So that's that word taking there. It's a self-promoted taking up. That means you determine when you want to do that. You have to take it up, uh, which is able to quench the fiery darts of the evil one. And then it says, and take, which is a, a word called dakamai, and it's a welcoming uh, the helmet of salvation. So it's a different word. So the word taking up the shield of faith is one word, and this word is a different word. This is the same word when they say uh, receive with meekness the engrafted word. This is the word taking here. That's the same word there. It's to receive there. And it's the uh, Vines tells us at this point of time that it is uh, a welcoming, an idea of welcoming. And I want to look at that a little later and just talk about how that is. He says, take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to the end with all perseverance and all supplication for all the saints. Now, this whole context of this whole passage is about praying. You know, the weaponry that we have and the armor that we wear is all about our prayer life. It's all about praying against the things that Satan is doing in your life, praying that God would open a door of ministry here. He says, Paul says, pray that the utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in change, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So it's all in the context of prayer. It's not in the context of fighting the devil. It's in the context of prayer. So I want to talk to you now today about this word take, the helmet of salvation. To take up, to receive, to welcome. It suggests, and this is what Vine's uh, Vine's, uh, commentary says, it suggests a heartiness in the taking up of it. So there's an attitude that you have in terms of taking something up. We're looking at the attitude of the taking now. And he says it's heartiness. 
So what does heartiness mean? It means loudly, vigorous, and cheerful. That's what the word means. Heartily, loudly, vigorously, and cheerful. Now, in our Bible study, sometimes I pull my wallet out like this to make an illustration. Have you been there in my Bible study when I've done that? Pull my wallet out to make an illustration? I'm going to do the same thing again today. And I want to see if somebody wants to get involved. Who wants to get involved with me in this illustration? Let's see how heartily you get involved. Now, if I go like this and open it up, what am I going to find in my wallet? Money. And if I wanted to illustrate heartily receiving something, if I put my hand in here and I took something out, you know what that means? If you wanted to heartily receive that, what would you have to do? Well, I, I want to see loudly, vigorous and cheerful. Well, I mean, I don't, I, I don't see any hearty vigorousness here. Now, you see, oh man, if I knew it was you, I would have put a big 50 there. <laughs> that's, the, that's the issue. No, no. Oh, can I have it back? Yeah, no, you can have it, yes. Because that's the way it works, isn't it? You know that. You guys knew that. That's when I go like this and I pull something out like that and I'm trying to illustrate a point. There's another one there. So that's heartiness. That's the very thing that I'm illustrating to you today. If I were to go in again, do you think I'd find anything else? What, do you think I should pull another one out? So that's $105 that she just got because she was... And that's it. Now, you don't have to feel bad. You illustrated my point. It cost me more than I thought, but anyway. Now, it's yours. I'll run through right now. I'm being serious, yes. You don't have to give it back to me. It never comes back any other time. <laughs> now, I want to illustrate that point for you because that's the attitude that you've got to have when it comes to taking up the helmet of salvation. It says heartily which means loudly, vigorously, and cheerfully. Now, we saw that illustrated. Any one of you could have been reception, had to receive that. Anyone, if you, if you had decided, I want a bit of that, you could have jumped up and you could have played that game with me and you, would not, you know you would have gone away and walked away with money in your pocket. You've done that, haven't you? Yes, you did. You did it at my place. I pulled money out and you said, thank you very much. And he had it and he sat in his hand. He got it. That was his. Who else has done that? Oh, glory did that the other day. And everybody's saying, ah, I wish I'd done that game. You know, the question is your attitude. It's, that's about money. But this is the same word now, heartily receive something. And it has to do with the helmet of salvation. So it's not just taking something up, you know, oh, I have to pick that up now. No, no, no. This is about an attitude with regard to salvation that you're going to take up. Okay, so now you get the idea behind this word. Whoop. Okay, let's go on. So what would make me welcome something heartily? What would make me welcome something heartily? Give me, talk to me. What would make me welcome something heartily? You'd desire it. Well, why would you desire it? It, it, it would, it, it's going to be good for me or it's something that I need? What would make me heartily receive something? I value it. I think it's worth something. If I think it's worth something, I'm going to go for it. I don't care. You know, my, my daughter, she sees me pulling out my wallet and she thinks, I want some of that. And she, we, t- we talked about this on Tuesday night. If it was my daughter or if it was my son and I, and I had a need, I would just pull out my wallet and I would take it. And Glory was sitting beside me and he said, yeah, I'll take some of that. Well, he's going to be my son for tonight. And I had to take some of it. Thank you. Did he? I said, Did he share it. Did he share it? <laughs> she saw it. She wanted it. It was of value to her. And now she's blessed. Now she's blessed. This is the thing. Your attitude determines how you get things from God. Your attitude determines how you approach God. And everything is about how you value your salvation. 
The problem with valuing something is salvation is only great if you recognize and see what the condemnation was like. I mean, you know, when we talk about salvation, we're talking about someone getting saved. You know, they were going to die and then they get saved. All right. We had in the news this week some terrible news that a, a little boat outside of uh, Indonesia, uh, they came out and, and they got into trouble in the Indonesian waters and they, they turned around to go back because there was something wrong with the boat and they got into trouble. And we just read on the newspaper this morning that somebody on the boat called a cousin, they were all from Lebanon, they called a cousin in Melbourne and said, we're in trouble here, then the boat must have capsized. They all fell into the drink. A lot of them drowned. Children washed up, bodies of children washed up onto the thing. Look, they needed someone to save them. They were in trouble. You know, they, they, we're in trouble. Help's on the way. But, you know, when you're on the ocean and you're miles away from anybody, help, it takes a long time to get to you. If you're one of the ones floating in the water for a few days, you're watching the sharks go around you. You've watched other people die and drown, maybe getting eaten by a shark. You're in the water waiting for salvation. When somebody comes along, has your attitude? Oh, look, I don't think I like your boat. It's not fancy enough for me. Send a bigger boat. I'm a better person. I want to tell you something. If you could see that the, that, that, that the thing that was going to happen to you was bad, your attitude towards salvation would be vigorous, loud and cheerful. Yay, they arrived. I'm, let's get into this boat. Oh, out of that water, you know. That would be your attitude. You know what? We don't have that attitude with regard to salvation because we haven't seen the condemnation well enough. We, we haven't seen what would have happened to us if we had not had Jesus come into our lives. And so I want to look, just talk about this. John tells us very clearly that the work of conviction or the work of, uh, to let you know that where you were is the work of the Holy Spirit. He says in John chapter 16 verse 8, he says, And when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. He's the one who makes you feel the guilt. He's the one... No, I've already put my wallet away, Olga. It was too late. I mean, if you came out earlier, it would have been better. I mean, you could have had something, that, but sorry. You see, the Holy Spirit is the one that speaks to you. He's the one that lets you know when you're doing the wrong thing. He's the one who lets you know it's wrong what you're doing. He's the one who says, if you keep on doing that, there's a place that you're going to go to. There's a judgment coming that's going to deal with you if you keep on doing that. That's the Holy Spirit's job. He's also the one who says, you know, there's a right path. You know, there's a right way you should be walking. And that's, this is the right way. This is the wrong way. And you don't want to go that way. That's a, not a good thing. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the one who makes us feel the guilt. And everybody doesn't like guilt. We, say, we want to live life without guilt, free of guilt. Well, I think that guilt's a good thing. Really, I do. You know, because I think that when you feel guilt, it's, it's a testimony that God is actually speaking to you. If you were to do something wrong and you never felt any guilt about it, you're in a pretty bad place. And you're in a bad place because you don't have a, an ear to hear the voice of God anymore. There's no register on the inside that that was not correct. And when you've got no register on the inside that that's the wrong thing to do, you just keep on doing the wrong thing and it's okay, it doesn't matter. Now, the devil has been working for a long, long time to get rid of this idea of guilt. You shouldn't feel guilty about anything. Well, you know what? We, he started and he started to say, you know, there really isn't any right and wrong in life. He's been working hard to dismiss this idea that there is a right, absolute right and an absolute wrong. And then we know that the law of God sums up the right and the wrong. And what we live in in, in our Western society is a, it's called relativism. We take absolute and say, well, that's what you think is right. But, you know, in our society now, in our modern society, it's okay. You know, you can tell a lie, it's okay. You can have immorality, it's okay. You can do all the kind of things that we used to say were wrong, but it's okay. Just as long as you don't hurt anybody, it's okay. It doesn't matter. It's not a big problem. It's okay. 
There is no right and wrong. It's just whatever's right for you is right for you. Whatever's wrong for you is wrong for you. It doesn't matter. There is no shining right and no shining wrong. There is just whatever you think is right. And then when you say to somebody, you know, that's not right, they, they usually say, whatever, whatever. Like, who are you to judge me? You don't have to judge me because the devil's work really well in our Western society to undermine that out, to take out the right and the wrong. So you can't say anything to anybody anymore because everybody's saying, don't judge me because, you know, who, what's it, who are you to tell me what's right and wrong? I'll decide for myself. So the devil's done that. He's actually created that whole mindset. And he's, he's worked hard to dismiss the consequence that's associated with breaking it. You know, it's like there are no consequences. I know that when you, um, when you go on, there looks like there's consequences with regard to legal consequences if you do something wrong. But you know what? When we started to break down the moral codes in our society, around about 1957, 1960, they, they, they started to change the way they viewed life. You know, living together with somebody before you got married was very rare in 1950, 1960. About 3% of people, that's only lived together before they got married. But in, 19, uh, sorry, in 2012, that had changed and it was between 85 to 90% of people lived together before they got married. Because we changed the rules in society and said, you know, it's not wrong to live together before you get married. It's okay, you know. And who are you to tell it's wrong? You know, it doesn't matter. And so our societies dismissed it. They, and they dismissed this idea. You've got to try before you buy. I mean, who would buy a car without driving it first? Why on earth then would you go and get married to a girl without having sex with her first? You've got to see if it's nice. If it's not nice, you don't marry her. And, and, and this is the devil. The devil does it. He, he changes our minds with regard to it and says, yeah, that's okay. You don't have to worry about morals right and wrong because there's no consequences. And now young people say, oh, well, we'll live together for a little while. All right, that's not working out. It's like a two-year contract, you know, it doesn't work out, and then we'll, we'll, we'll leave and go somewhere else. And we think there's no consequences. There is a consequence. When you break that rule in society, which is breaking God's rules, you break down society as we know it. And so you end up with a brokenness in society, which is... So if you look at people who cohabit before they get married, they live together before they get married, the divorce rate is 77%, the separation rate is 16%, that's 93% failure rate. Only 7% last. And that's from a study that was taken over 25 years following the course of that action. Of those, 80, of those 15% who decided to get married once they, you know, they got married and then they started their sexual relationship, 85% of them, percent of them are still together. Only 15% ended in the divorce and separation. What does that tell you? It says there's a consequence. And what the devil is trying to do, he says, look, there is no consequence. There is no heaven. There is no hell. There is no God. There is no right. There is no wrong. Do whatever you please. Live wherever you want. Don't feel guilt. In our psychology, in the world in psychology, there's, there's, a, there's an idea called rational emotive therapy, which says if you think in certain things, you're going to feel bad about certain things. So, you know, certain people are bad, wicked, and villainous and need to be severely blamed. It's just change your idea, change your mind about that. And that's true, you know, if you change the way you think about things, it does change the way you feel about things. So if you decide, you know, that you don't want to live morally and it's okay to live immorally... You can stop yourself from feeling bad about it and you can feel no guilt about it anymore. You can just walk through life and say, it oh, doesn't matter. Who are you to tell me? I just lived this way. This is the way I live. This is modern world. You know, this is a modern life. This is my life. This is how it is now. We all hook up and then we go away. We hook up again and we go away. We have these hookups. We don't even have friendships. We just have hookups. You know, these arrangements whereby we get together, we, hey, we bang and then we go. That's it. Party life in Australia today is all about hooking up and splitting. Recreational sex. That's right. No consequences. And yet our young people are dying of sexually transmitted diseases. All this is going on. Young men are lost because they have no fathers. No dads around to give them direction and guidance. 
women have no ideas about honouring themselves and keeping themselves for the man that God has for them. It's all old-fashioned. It's all old news. The devil's been working hard at this. He's been working hard to destroy all of those values to take them all out so you don't feel guilt. You know, if you take God out of the picture, you take that God who is holy and right, he's got all his rules with him, you say, God is dead, there is no God. You know what you've just done? You've removed all the right and wrongs. That means I can do whatever I like, whenever I like. I don't have to feel guilty because there's no one going to come up to me later and say, hey, buddy, can you give me an account for what you've just been doing? There's no one going to actually ask me to give an account because I've removed God. I removed the consequence of fronting God when I die. Well, I don't actually remove it. I deceive myself to think. I deceive myself to think that I won't have to answer. So he's been working hard. The devil's been working hard. Okay, if we dismiss there's a consequence, then we dismiss this idea of hell. So if we dismiss hell, then we have to dismiss what Jesus did, because Jesus is the one that talks most about hell. In the Old Testament, you don't get a lot. You get a little bit, but not a lot. Then Jesus comes and he says, let me, he said, let me shine a light onto you so you can see exactly what's coming if you don't turn around. I mean, Jesus is coming from heaven. He's coming to earth. And he says, you know, the reason I came here is I wanted to save you from your sins because your sins are taking you to a place where you are distant and away from God. And in the end, there'll be punishment. He says, and I've seen that. I've seen what the punishment looks like. He says, and I don't want that for you. So I'm come here to save you from your sins, to save you from the consequences of those sins. This is what he said. He says, this is the things of Jesus. And, and I'm going to whiz through this. I'm not going to talk about them much. I just want to see what he's t- telling you about the consequence, just so you can get this into your... Matthew chapter 3, verse 10, and chapter 7, verse 19. If you're not bearing good fruit, he uses this analogy as you'll be cut down and thrown into the fire. That's an analogy. Cut down and thrown into the fire. Matthew chapter 3, verses 12, he says, He'll gather up the weed into the bars and, the, and, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. It's just an analogy. He's taking a picture and he says, You know that stuff that blows away after you've collected the weed? That gets thrown and burned. He says, That's what's going to happen. He uh, he tells in this teaching in chapter five, Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, he says, if, your brother, if you call your brother Raka, which means you're useless fool, he says, you're in danger of hellfire. He says, hell's coming and it's full of fire. Not a nice picture, is it? And in Matthew chapter 13, verse 40, he says, the tares are gathered up and burned with a fire, so it will be in the end of the age. So he's talking about the judgment that's coming, Matthew chapter 13, he's talking about the judgment that's coming. He says all the wickedness is going to be brought up and it's going to be thrown into the fire. And so he's actually telling us again, there's danger out there if you keep on doing what you're doing. Matthew chapter 13, verse 42 and chapter 13, verse 50. And he will cast them into a furnace of fire. There will be, and it's you. Now he's talking about people in the fire. Now he's not talking about weeds in the fire or wheat or chaff in the fire. He's talking about people in the fire because now he's talking about there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. So it's like, whoa, that's a bit hot, you know, and gnashing, oh, that pain, that hurts. So he's actually now linked on from an analogy and telling you the, the actual. You'll be thrown into a place which is hot and will cause you some wailing. Have you ever seen wailing? Africans do wailing well, don't you? Africans do wailing. You don't know what wailing is. Crying. Okay, show me what wailing. Give me a wail. Yeah, so, yeah they, they scream. It's, and usually when something gets really hot or when something gets very painful, painful you start to wail. I do anyway. And gnashing of teeth, it's when you grit your teeth together and you groan because the pain is so bad. That's gnashing of teeth. He said, so Jesus is saying, the judgment's coming, there'll be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Not nice. This is, none of this is nice. Okay, here we go. Matthew chapter 18, verse 8. He says, and he's teaching us now, he says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off from you. We don't think we should cut it off, but he's just using a picture here, a metaphor. He's saying, it is better for you to enter life lamed or maimed, because you know that when you die, 
you get it all back anyway because you get a whole body back. But he's saying, deal seriously with something that causes you to sin. Don't fool around with it, he says, because it's better to go into eternity with one hand or one eye than to go into hell with both. So he's saying, don't mess around with sin because there's a consequence coming with sin. And then he talks about it. He says, that we're cast into everlasting fire. So this is fire, but it's everlasting fire. Everlasting means it's fire that doesn't stop burning. And given that we are given a, a resurrected body, both the evil and the, the righteous, righteous are given a resurrected body at the resurrection, then the evil are given a resurrected body at the resurrection, a new body, immortal body, it's going to be thrown into the fire and it'll be burning forever and ever. So you won't get consumed, but you just get burned. Matthew chapter 18, verse 19 says, And the eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. He said, Cast into hell fire. Matthew chapter 25, verses 41, he says, At the judgment day, he'll be sorting out people, sorting out sheep and goats. And he's saying, And he will say to those on the left hand, and these are the goats, he says, Depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his, and, and his angels. So this is the place that, that God is going to throw the devil and all his angels. He's going to throw them into that place. They don't, they're not there stoking up the fire. They're there getting burned by the fire. And you, if you're one of their mates, will go there and get burned with the fire as well. That's the consequence. Not nice. How many people are enjoying this part of the sermon? Well, you know, it's actually telling you the truth. The consequence. Yeah. In Mark chapter 9, verse 44, he says, he adds something to it. He says, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So we know that the fire is not quenched, but he says, the worm does not die. The worm does not die. What he means is that there is a gnawing aspect to this whole thing where it just gets on gnawing and gnawing and it never stops. The worm does not die. This does not stop. Now, that's the bad news. With no conviction of sin or hell, you'll feel no guilt. There's no, there's no consequences. Guilt is good because it means that if you feel guilty, you know that God's not pleased. You can do something about it. You can deal with it. And we have a wonderful God who's provided for us a great and gracious salvation. He is not desirous that any should perish. He doesn't want anybody going to this horrid place. Jesus stepped up from heaven, from the throne of grace, and stepped down onto earth, clothed himself with human flesh to take the hell for us. If you believed it. He's done that for you. What a wonderful thing he's done for you. Now, I was going to bring my blowtorch because I got a blowtorch. You know the one that you used? You just pull the trigger and it just bursts into flame. I was going to bring the blowtorch to church this morning to help you understand the illustration. Just like I pulled out my wallet, I was going to pull out the blowtorch. I was only going to take one person just to show you. Not many, just one. I thought maybe Auntie Kathy could do that because she's so selfless. She would give herself to be torched for you. And I was going to start the thing up. So it was blowing the flame. And the flame is a hot flame. And I was just going to pass it by her a couple of times. How many people would have liked that? See, you're now starting to think that you can relate to this. You start to think, yeah, that would, what a hor- how could you even think of such a horrible thing to do? How could you think of such a horrible thing to do, to burn somebody like that? But you see, now, now take it, what if I had chosen Brandon, you, to pass the flame by? Or what if I had ta- if I said, no, I'm just going to randomly pick you? How many of you would have sat there? Our church would be empty straight away, wouldn't it? You would all run out. Why would you run out? Because none of you would... You, the, that you would say, this guy's gone mad, he is stupid, and he could hurt us very badly here. And you would take, you would be eager, vigorously, cheerfully running for the door because the door would offer you salvation from the madman who's got the blowtorch, right? You see, we sit so, dis- 
we sit here and we go, okay, I got salvation. I was going to go to hell. It's like, like, stop it. You need to stop it. <laughs> Wait a minute. If I had a real blowtorch, if you were in Nairobi, if you were in the, if you were in that that shopping center where the terrorists were shooting people, we were told that they were they were taking pliers for their hostages and ripping their noses off by the pliers and pulling their ears off and gouging their eyes out. If you were in the shopping center and somebody said, "Come on, this way out," would you run out? Seriously, we are so desensitized to the reality of it. We are so Western. Oh, yes, bad things happening to people in the world. The persecuted church, the persecuted Christians in the world. We hear about these terrorists going into this place and they're killing all these people, building a bomb blast outside of a church. You know, they're chopping Christians' heads off every single day. What for? Just because they are Christian. They love Jesus. That's it. And we are sitting here, oh, yeah. What are you going to do today? You going to go down to the beach or something? Nice day. Thank you, Jesus, for heaven. We are so desensitized to what is actually happening. We are so distracted from it, so distant from it, that when it comes to grabbing a hold of salvation and putting that on because we know we were damned, we don't even know that we were damned. We don't even understand that we were in a terrible place, that someone was going to pass a blowtorch over us unless we were saved. We need a little bit of reality. And I want to tell you something. Here in Australia, some reality is coming. Persecution is on its way. You get a little bit now. You stand up and you say you're a Christian. What, you're a fundamentalist Christian? What do you believe? You don't believe those things, do you? Oh, and they give you some lip. They give you some lip. If you want to stand up on, on a box and you want to preach on, at Woodridge on the box, they'll give you a little bit of fist and a bit of push around. But that's nothing. You wait until the Antichrist comes in and stands on his little throne box there. And you try and tell you, they'll come and they'll take your skin off you. What did you think it was like for the Christians in the early church who gave up their lives? Where, where this Christianity was born? You said... I believe that Jesus is Lord. And the guy, the Roman soldier, come over and say to you, you say that again. I believe that Jesus is Lord. No, Caesar is Lord. You say Jesus is Lord one more time and it's coming to you. And he'll say, I believe that Jesus is Lord. And they'll take him and they'll take him and they'll throw him into a lion's where the lions would crush him with their teeth and eat him alive. Or they'll stack him up on a stool Stand them up nice and tall on a stool, wrap them around with twines, put tar at their feet, and then have all these Christians. Imagine this lovely body of people standing up on piers like their hands tied behind, in a bucket of tar. And then Nero decides to have a barbecue party. He lights you all up and you provide the light because you are the light of the world. You stand there and you burn all night as he parties in front of you. This is the heritage from which we came. This is the Christ life that we are born into. Where do we live now? Where is your head now? You don't even take hold of your salvation as though it's meaningful and worth something. These people died for their faith in Jesus. They were willing to die for it because it was something that was real. I will grasp life and kill me if you must, but life is what I have. And they put on the helmet of salvation and they were ready for it, even if it killed them. We are so distracted in the West. We are so sideways here. You know how you glad about you? We feel ashamed to let somebody know that we believe in Jesus. You believe in Jesus? Yes, that you pray even. That you're willing to love God. You love God? Oh, what? Are you some sort of religious freak? Yes! And I'm proud of it. I'm proud of it. I'm, I'm a Jesus freak. All the way through to the core of my being, I am. You can cut my arm off and you can cut my fingers and toes off. That's not going to stop me. I might wail and yellow. But listen, when it's all over and you take my life away from you, I enter into eternal life with a full body. Because I've got something else. I'm hanging on to something else. So this is what we're talking about. The consequences. They talk about hell, you read it, you say, oh, um, I have to bring hell to you and put it on a plate and show you what it looks like in Nigeria or in Kenya 
or in some other place off the coast of Jakarta. I have to bring hell and say, look at that in a physical way. Look at that before you say, oh, that would be horrible. Before you start to realize salvation is really salvation. Being saved is really being saved. That means salvation is a good thing. In fact, talking about salvation is good news. Why? Because we know what the other is. It's bad news all the way through. We have a wonderful God, a gracious God, who provides for us such a great salvation. And here it is. We'll have a read of it. We looked at it in Ephesians chapter 2. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love for which he loved us, even though we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful thing that Jesus has done. He says, for by grace have you been saved. Every time you see saved, put yourself somewhere with somebody just about to plant the blowtorch on you. And somebody comes in and whips you away in the nick of time. Just about to be butchered. And somebody came and stole you away. Just about to drown. And somebody came and picked you up out of the water. Nothing you could do. You couldn't swim harder. You couldn't fight harder. You couldn't talk harder. Nothing you could do. You are damned if someone else didn't come and save you. For by grace have you been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17 says, And take the helmet of salvation. Now, my little children, my grandchildren, sing a little song. You put your hat on your head. And now we teach our kids to sing that song. I'm going to teach you to sing that song today. You put your helmet on. You put your helmet on your head. On your head. You put your hel- Do you put your helmet on your knee? On your knee? Oh, no, you don't put your helmet on your knee. Do you put your helmet on the bed? On the bed? No, no, you don't put your helmet on the bed. You put your helmet on the foot? On your foot? No, you don't put your helmet on your foot. Where do you put your helmet, friends? You put your helmet on your head. On your head. You put your helmet on your head. The helmet goes on. And how do you put that on? What sort of attitude do you have when you put it on? Oh, well, let me show you a little bit about how you'd like to put your helmet on your head. I'm going to go to this man's head because it's got no hair on it. And I'm going to belt this man's head with it. Now, if he had a helmet, what would he do with it? Yeah. Because if I, yeah, you see, he wants to put it on his head. If I go, oh, yeah, he wants to put it on his head. It's almost like, oh, yeah, what about if I did, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, see, on the head. That's where you want to put it, on the head. Joyfully. Which one of you would sit there and let somebody bang your head with a hammer without trying to protect yourself? You've got to be crazy. That's nuts. That's nuts. You put your hat on your head. And so when it's on your head, you never take it off your head. It stays continuously on your head and it changes the way you think. You have to have a different mind to be a Christian. You have to think differently to be a Christian. And putting it on has to do about there's a benefit involved in putting it on. 
I'm going to grab the Word of God and I'm going to put it on my head because there's a benefit of having it on my head. I'm going to put the precepts of God in my mind because there's a benefit for having it in my mind. It brings salvation to my soul if it's on my head. It brings healing to my body if it's on my mind. If it's in my mind, I know the way of God. If I don't, I'm blind. When I take the word of God, I put it on my head and it sits there on my head every day and every night and every day and every night. And it speaks to me. It changes me. It changes the way I think and it changes the way I feel and it changes what I do. It changes me when it's on my head. Listen, friends. Philippians chapter 2 says these words. Let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. So you've got a choice with minds here. You can have a double mind or you can have a single mind. A double mind means... Which way should I go? Should I go to the party and have some fun? Shall, hi, how are you? Good to see you again. Shall I go to the party and have some fun? Shall I drink some alcohol and have some rum? Shall I go to the party and see some girls? Shall I go out and do some twirls? Well, shall I go to the party? Or shall I go to the prayer meeting and pray and get sore knees? Shall I go to the prayer meeting and intercede and say, please? Shall I go to the prayer meeting and say, oh, God, help? Shall I go to the prayer meeting? What should I do? I'm torn between the two. I'm double-minded. Well, you see, when you've got the helmet of salvation and you've only got one mind, you don't have an option any longer. You just got one Mind. And that mind is Christ's mind. It says, but we have the mind of Christ. Now listen to me, folk. You can see where you've been this week, where you are caught between two ways. Should I say that or not say that? Should I do that? And then your conscience starts saying, oh, not good, not good, not good. Oh, I just want, I want to do my thing or do I want to do God's thing? My thing or God's thing? My thing or God's thing? And where that is happening, you're taking your helmet off and putting it somewhere else. Oh, I'll put it back on. No, I'll put it off again. Put it on or leave it on. As soon as you take it off, boof, you get one in the head. As soon as you take your helmet off, he'll slip an idea in your head that will make you confused. Uh, Where did I put my helmet? I can't remember now. I took my helmet off and then he made me confused and forget. And all of a sudden, I... uh, Where did I put my helmet? Oh, well, do I really need a helmet? I don't suppose I really need a helmet. Nothing's coming around here. Birds are in the air. Bang! Another idea goes in there that says, you don't have to pick it up again, you know. Well, they're having fun, you know. They'll accept you over here. You see, you take your helmet off, and all of a sudden your mind starts to get scrambled. You start to think silly things. You start to feel silly feelings. You start to be controlled because somebody's in the control system in here. That's not God. And if they get in behind your control system, you know where they can take you? They can take you to the man with the blowtorch. They can take you out into deep water and drop you there. Put your helmet on your head and leave it on your head. This is what it said in Isaiah 55. Liz has a grandmother. This was one of her grandmother's scriptures that she used to say to Liz. So when before Liz got saved, God had already put some of these things in Liz's heart because grandma had told her, all grandmothers, put your hands up. 
you have a great opportunity to put God's word into the minds of your grandchildren. Maybe it's grandma's prayers that Liz got saved. Are we glad that Liz is saved? We certainly are glad that she's saved. What did grandma say? Well, Grandma quoted Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Get rid of that old mind and where that old mind is leading you. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God and he will freely pardon them. My thoughts, says God, are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As high as the heavens are higher than the earth and are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. What a wonderful scripture to leave in her daughter, granddaughter's mind. So that when her granddaughter starts looking about life and saying, what's the answer to life? In the back of the residues of her mind, grandma's saying, God's ways are higher. God's thoughts are higher. God's word is sovereign. Enough to build an argument against every lie that Satan put into Chris's, Liz's life and to turn her heart to Jesus. Enough to turn her heart to Jesus. Grandma had the helmet of salvation and she implanted the seed in her granddaughter's life which took some time to grow, but it grew. One man plants, another man waters, but God gives the increase. First Peter says this, Therefore gird up the loins of your mind. The word gird up is to, and they had old dresses there before, you know, they walk around with this long, and they would take the back of the dress for the guys, and they would pull it up like this in between their legs, and they would tuck it in their belt, you know. So all of a sudden they had pants on. They could move around without tripping up. Now we, we looked at that. That's girding up. So get up your mind and tuck it in your belt of truth. There are now you've got your mind clear. You're ready to act. He says, Peter says, gird up your mind. Get ready. Get your mind sharp. Get it ready for action. Think clearly. Exercise. Self-control, he says. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, And do nothing, do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the... So here's the thing. When you put the helmet of salvation on, Does my mind immediately change? All right. When I put the helmet of salvation on, I have two minds and I'm in the process of changing to one mind. This is the helmet of Jesus. It's my, his thoughts are in my right. Does it look all right? Okay, uh, Jesus suits everybody. So I've got Jesus' mind here now. Because what Jesus does when Jesus is in your mind, he actually says, you know, hey, there's an attitude here, Mark, that's not correct. You want to get rid of that attitude. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, Jesus, I get rid of that attitude right now, sir. Right now. What do you want me to change your mind? Okay, I'll change my mind. What are you thinking there? I was thinking that I, I feel angry because he's getting something. I'm not getting, I feel resistant toward him. And I, don't, I just think I'm going to get angry at him, you know, jealous about him. Jesus says, well, I don't want you to be jealous. I want you to be grateful for him and pray that God blesses him some more. I nearly spit at you then, didn't I? Pray that God blesses him some more. Oh, but I don't want to do that. Yeah, but you have to get that old mind out and my mind has got to be in there. Okay, I'm going to pray. Jesus, bless that person even some more. So when she got $5 out of that wallet, I think, wow, that was $5. And then she went for some more, $50. She's got another $55. Oh, that's really great. Did you pray for her to get some more? Or were you saying, I wish that was me? You wanted <laughs> Oh, you wanted her to get more. <laughs> Change your mind. So Jesus will show you what's right and what's wrong and he will tell you which thoughts to throw out and which thoughts to keep. That's a good hat. Nice hat. Fits my head. Nice. But God changes your mind when you put the helmet of salvation on and you get a saved 
mentality. A saved mentality. Everybody say, I'm saved. No, that wasn't everybody. Everybody say, I'm saved. Was that still everybody? Who didn't say it last time? Let's say it again. I'm saved. What does that mean? You're safe and sound. You're secure. You're not going to burn in hell. You're saved. How do you feel about being saved? Great. Are you happy about it? Okay, I'm saved. That's how I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I'm saved. I've got a new mind. I'm saved. I'm going on with Jesus. I'm saved. I probably get martyred for my faith. I'm saved. I'm saved. You're really happy about that? You're, I know you are, Mum. You're glad I'm saved. I'm glad I'm saved. My wife's glad I'm saved. My, my kids are glad I'm saved. The church is glad I'm saved. Everybody's glad I'm saved. Why? Because if I'm saved, I'm safe. I'm safe. And if I'm safe, that means you can love me and it's safe. It means you can trust me and it's safe. You can listen to my words and it's safe. Because I'm saved. You know what the problem is? People say they're saved and they don't act like they're saved. They don't talk like they're saved. They don't think like they're saved. They live like an unsaved person and they're saying, I'm saved. I'm a Christian. Yeah, but you don't look like a Christian. Don't act like a Christian. Don't speak like a Christian. Don't do like a Christian. How is it that you're safe? Friends, saved means the helmet's on the head and your, your thinking is being shifted from unsaved to saved, which means you become safe, mature and safe. It means that I think differently. So things that people will laugh at because it was a good dirty joke, hey? <laughs> Not funny. Not funny. Didn't like that bit at all. It's a feel differently about things. I see a man laying on the street when I go and pick up the kids or drop the kids off on Friday night. Here he is laying on the street with a sleeping bag. Same place every time, Claudia. Outside the shop where it's all light so that people can see it if he gets beaten up. Lays his pillow down and he's got a pillow and a sleeping bag he probably picked up from the van. Lays it down in the corner and I go past and I say, I don't feel good about that. I, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not happy about that. You know, people say, oh, well, you know, they, well, he chooses to be there. He chooses, you know. But my feelings are different now than they used to be. I used to say, I don't care, whatever. But Jesus cares. And Jesus' mind now clouds my old flesh mind and fills it with his clarity. And now I care. I care that he's there. I care why he's there. Why doesn't he have a father or a mother or a home or someone that loves him? Why doesn't someone attach to him? If he died, would anybody else know that he died? Would anybody else care that he even breathed? Jesus cares. Jesus thinks about him. Jesus knows how many hairs are on his head. He knows the trouble that he's seen. He knows it from the beginning to the end. He knows whether he had a father or didn't have a father, whether he grew up in an orphanage or whether he didn't grow up in an orphanage, whether he was raped when he was a child or whether he wasn't raped as a child. He knows every detail about that man's life, and he cares about that man's life. That man may have just given up hope on life itself and just say, I don't care. When I die, I die, and that's the end of it. But there's an eternal destination for that man, and Jesus cares about that. And when I give my mind to Jesus and put on the helmet of salvation, his caring comes into my being. And I begin to care about those things now. That's the change that takes place. The change in my mind. I change my thinking and my emotions start to change. There's a connection between what you think and what you feel. I got a nice new car. 
I take it around to Jerome's place. And the kids say, oh, nice new car, Pastor Mark. No, I don't have a nice new car. This is a story, okay? Take it around to Jerome's. Nice new car. Miriam comes out and she has a spoon that she's picked up off the floor or a pair of scissors in the other hand that she picked up off the floor. Nice new car, Pastor Mark. She runs over to my nice new car and she goes, ah, 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 oh. And all of a sudden on the nice new car, there is some very deep marks in the paintwork. Now, how am I feeling about that? You know, I think that we should get the Africans out of the church, you know. (laughs) They're really not cool. You know, this is my nice new car and it's been signed a signature on it. Now, I will have forgotten that I went to my grandmother's place, my nana's place when I was a boy and only a young child just as old as as Miriam. And I sat there with a little knife that I'd found in my grandmother's place and I sat there and I thought my grandmother would love me to draw her a flower. She would love me to draw her a flower on her nice polished wood furniture. And so I sat there with great, and I drew a little circle and a little one and another one and another one. And I made a little daisy and a little hoop on the bottom and like the flowers. And there it was, my masterpiece, a drawing on the carved, finished furniture of my nana. I'll never have Mark come round to my place again. No, my nana had the helmet of salvation on. She prized that thing that was her grandson's drawing on her new chair. And that was special now for her because her grandson did that. So change your mind. If it was an old car, it wouldn't have mattered. My thinking would be it doesn't matter. It's got plenty of scratches on it. But a new car, I think differently about a new car. My thinking affects the way I feel about something. This helmet changes my thinking, which changes my emotions, which then changes how I speak. Because rather than saying, Miriam, Miriam, stop doing it, why you wreck my car? Well, my master, why don't you look after your children? No! Wailing and gnashing of teeth. Uh, because, I, oh, well, isn't that lovely? She's put a signature on Oh, that car is more expensive now because Miriam has signed it. Oh, come on. Anybody else want to sign it? Esther, you want to put your signature beside that? That's fine. Oh, it's look, Jerome, yeah, yeah, I'll put my footprint in it. Like, you know, boop. <laughs> change the way you feel will change the way you Change the way you speak is so important if people want to hear the good news. You'll be saved and you'll do differently. You'll act differently and you'll pray differently. Some people pray, God, take this person out of my life. God, remove this thorn from my flesh. If you can't take the devil out of them, cast him and the devil out. God, remove that person from me. Oh, I hate that person. I hate that person. What did I just say that? You hate someone? You just want God to take them and kill them. Did I say that? You should actually make you pray differently. You should get say, God, bring more people like this person into my life. (laughs) I'd like to know five people just like him. God, change me. Move me from where I am to where you want me to be. Change my life. Change my mind. Change my heart. Change the way I feel. Change what I do. Change the course that I take. Change me through and through. You can only get changed through and through when you put the hat on the head. On the head. On the head. Not on the bed. On the table. Anywhere. It's on the head and it stays there. Then the change begins. Amen. Amen. Let's change. Oh God, change us. Change us. Take the helmet of salvation and put it on. I just do it like this. 
Put it on like that. Do it now. Make a little object lesson. Put it on your head and hold it there and say, on my head, on my head, on my head. Both hands, tighten it right down there, Jackie. On my head. Jesus, change me with your word. Change me. Let me be glad that I'm saved, that I'm not going to go down the old path any longer, that I'm not going to be broken anymore. I'm safe to do good, to do well. Lord Jesus, let us be joyous about the salvation you've given us. You saved us in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord a hand. What a wonderful thing that Jesus has done for us. He saved us. Amen. He saved us. Hallelujah. Let's stand up, shall we? Let's just tell Jesus how grateful we are for that salvation. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, help us to live here continuously proud of the fact that we've got the helmet of salvation on. You saved us, Jesus. You saved me, Jesus. You saved me, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Give one another a big hug and say, Good to see the helmet on your head.